All right, church, if you have your Bibles, grab them. Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're studying through the book of Acts, looking at the early church, how it developed, how it formed, who they were, what they did, in the hopes that we might realign ourselves with them and their mission so that we might be the church that God would call us to be. We're going to start off this morning reading the text, Acts chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter together. Uh, it's fairly short, fairly But I think it's important, the most important thing we do as we gather together is read from this book, because as we read it, we hear the very words of God. Acts chapter 3, if you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen, starting in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith, is his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel 
and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Actors have a way of getting typecasted uh, into certain types of roles. Actors have this way of, of being typecast so that when you see a particular actor in a particular movie, you kind of expect to kind of know what that movie is going to be about or like because of the actor that's in it. When you see Tom Cruise, you always know he's going to be some hot shot protagonist jumping off cliffs, saving the world. When you see Sylvester Stallone, you know that he's going to be beating somebody up. When you see Jackie Chan, you know there's going to be kung fu involved. When you see Denzel Washington, all I know is that there's going to be some amazing inspirational speech at some point in the movie. In the same way that actors can kind of get typecasted into certain sort of roles, so too can people typecast the church. You know, that church over there, all they care about is money. Oh, you know, that church over there, man, they're just overly political. Oh, you know, that church over there, they're just a social club. Oh, that church over there, they don't really care anything about spiritual things. They don't care about the gospel. They just care about social justice or serving felt needs, feeding the poor, serving at battered women's shelters, or working to improve jobs in the community, or working toward racial reconciliation. Those churches, and sometimes rightly so, are seen as not caring about these spiritual things of the gospel and only caring about the physical things, temporary problems. But at the same time, on the other end, there are churches that often get typecasted, and sometimes rightfully so, that they only care about spiritual things and not the physical or temporary, temporal things. They say the gospel is sufficient, and so we don't need to feed you anything. You can be hungry. You just need Jesus. It's okay that your legs don't work. You just need to believe in Jesus. So what are we supposed to be? Are we supposed to care about the physical, temporal needs of our community and people? Are we supposed to only care about the spiritual realities and the spiritual things that people might believe the gospel? Our story this morning, I think, helps us answer that question. What type of church should we be? Or maybe what does living out the mission or what does advancing the kingdom of Christ look like for a faithful church? Is our mission physical or spiritual? Acts 3 starts off as Peter and John are walking into the temple when they see this crippled man laying at the entrance of the temple, a man who had been crippled for uh, 40 years, and he had been laying there most of that time uh, begging for money, hoping that since people are going into temple, they might feel a little more generous and help a brother out, have compassion on him. And so as Peter and John are heading into the temple, they encounter this man, they see him, he asks for help, he asks for money, and Peter looks at him and he says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. 
And the man, instantly getting strength in his ankles and in his feet, stands up, leaping for joy, and walks with them into the temple. And all the people inside uh, gather around in awe and wonder and gawking at the miracle that has just happened because they have seen this guy for a long time. And they see him and they come. And Peter, seeing the crowd of people, does what all good preachers do, and he begins to preach a sermon. But what does this story have to teach us today? I think this healing, this miracle, this caring for this physical ailment, and then the preaching of the gospel that immediately follows sets something up for us, helps us to think through this issue, and I think it calls us to look in four directions. So if you're following along in your notes, we're going to look up, look forward, look inward, and look down. First, we look up. First, we look up to God's authentication of Jesus. He's authenticating or affirming Jesus. You know, there are several reasons why Jesus and then his disciples did miracles. But one of the main reasons for all of the miracles Jesus did and then later the early church did is to affirm, to authenticate, to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. The miracles prove that at a minimum, hey man, maybe we got to listen to this guy, the dude that just brought somebody back from the dead. Maybe he's got something to say. The guy who just healed this dude who has leprosy. Maybe, maybe we should listen to him. And that's exactly what Hebrews chapter 2 tells us. (laughs) The author of Hebrews says, our great salvation was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to by us, by those who heard, God also bearing witness God is buried with us to Jesus by signs and wonders and various miracles. Miracles were God's way of saying, y'all pay attention. Pay attention. These guys were sent by me. This guy, Jesus, was sent by me. The early church, these apostles were sent by me. It was God's way of showing people who to listen to. Because the reality was, Jesus is a big deal at this moment in history. Like he, he's, he's been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's ascended, he's left, but he's the talk of the town. Like everyone's got an opinion on this guy. Some people thinking he's a false teacher. Some people thinking he's a heretic. Other people thinking he was the Messiah. Some people thinking that he was no big deal, y'all making too big of a fuss. But who do we listen to? Who do we believe? Well, this group's got some good points. That group's got some good points. Jesus is gone. He can't speak on the matter. So the miracles, these healings, were ways of showing who was to be heard and trusted. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not believe miracles exist. Maybe you would say uh, you're a person of of science and, and you can't believe in miracles because you believe in science. Maybe you would say to me, Brent, whenever we don't understand something, instead of trying to figure it out, we just place God in and say, God did it. And that's a cop out. Maybe that's what you would say. And I want to say, I hear that. And I don't think that's certainly true. For example, about 100 years ago, when we were first starting to understand the laws of thermodynamics, no one could figure out how the sun got its power, got its fuel. 
No one knew or, or understood at the time. No one could explain it. And so some scientists decided that the sun drew its energy, its power directly from God. Now that's a cop-out. That's not true. And now we know that the sun runs on nuclear fusion. Shoving God in to explain everything is bad science. And it would keep us from understanding the world God has made and he wants us to enjoy and understand. But having said that, there are some things so extraordinary that any reasonable consideration should rightly lead you to conclude that they are the result of divine intervention. The miracles of Jesus in the early church fit, I think, such a category. You see, we believe in miracles not because we don't believe in science, but because we do believe that God can suspend the laws of nature to do incredible things in order to give us evidence that he is who he says he is, that he does indeed exist. See, the resurrection of Jesus really is the pinnacle moment of such miracles, and it alone should be the evidence that we must turn our eyes in faith toward him. So after this miracle, Peter preaches, and he quotes Moses of the Old Testament saying that God would raise up such a prophet, and we should listen to what he tells us. For everyone who doesn't listen will be destroyed. The evidence, when considered, is actually on the side that Jesus was historically and legitimately and, and literally raised from the dead and therefore deserves a hearing from us. And so the question I want to ask you in this first point is, are you listening to him? Or are you sticking your head in the sand? There are two ways that we authenticate the message of Jesus. One is by pointing backward to the miracles, primarily the resurrection of Jesus, pointing back to the evidence that Jesus is who he said he was. And the second is serving people's physical and temporal needs. We point back, we, we point to the evidence, we point to the, the legitimacy and the, the accuracy of the accounts of the resurrection, but then also we, we serve people's physical and temporal needs, like as the apostles heal this man. See, acts of kindness, caring for what we call felt needs, people's hunger, uh, homelessness, whatever, caring for issues of justice, where there has been injustice in the world. Everything the poor, caring for the sick, housing the homeless, working uh, to increase jobs in our community, cr crying out for justice for those who have been mistreated, working to help those who have been hurt by society. For example, think about payday lenders who charge exorbitant interest rates and cheat people out of their money because they're desperate. Abortion clinics, adult bookstores, social injustice, and on and on and on. When we work to end those things, to better our community, we also authenticate the message of Jesus because when people see the church and Christians caring for them, serving them, going out of their way to make a difference for them, it is just like Peter healing this man's leg. And when we do that, when we serve our world and our community in such a way, they think, you know what, maybe this Jesus is real after all. Maybe he sent them to me to help me. Maybe 
this God does actually love me and hasn't abandoned me. Maybe he is real. Maybe I should consider believing after all. You see, we may not see miracles as, as often as the early church did, but that doesn't mean we don't care and treat the same physical issues and ailments the miracles solve. And when we do, when we serve people, when we care for people, we are authenticating that Jesus is real, that he really does care, and that he really has come to change the world. So we look up to see God's affirmation of his son. Second, we look forward to the future restoration. If the first thing the miracles teach us is that God really did send Jesus, the second thing they teach us is what exactly Jesus came to do. If they teach us that he should be trusted, it also shows us what he came to do. You see, the miracles are a foreshadow or an appetizer of the greater work that Jesus came to accomplish. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to make all things new, to make a new heaven and a new earth, a a new creation. That new creation comes not through the destruction of this current one, but through the resurrection of this current one. You see, when Jesus went to die on the cross to make a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven, understand that that work was not the end. It was but a means to accomplish the actual work that he came to do. The cross wasn't the point. The cross was how we get to the point. That his work was to make all things new, to reverse the curse and the corruption of sin, to reverse everything that is broken, to unwind it and heal and fix the world. So when you understand the end goal of Jesus' mission, which is to fix the world, to set it right, it gives us new insight into what the miracles mean. The miracles and the healing of this crippled man is the future breaking into the present. When the apostles, when Peter heals this man's legs, it is a future reality that happens in the kingdom of Christ breaking in to the now, to the present. It is the future restoration happening early. Jesus is using this miracle and all other ones to show us what the future will be like. He is using them to show us a picture of what his kingdom is like. The miracles show us what the kingdom of God is like. You see, in the future, in the kingdom of Christ, there will be no wheelchairs. There will be no cancer diagnoses. There will be no COVID-19. There will be no hunger. There will be no homelessness. There will be no death. Every miracle Jesus and the disciples did was an alleviation of suffering. I've heard it said that Jesus' miracles did not show off the simple fact of his power. They revealed the redemptive purpose of his power, that he came to heal the world and set it right. These miracles show us, listen to this, these miracles show us that God is no happier with the world as it is than you and I are. Just as mad as we get about the state of the world, 
the brokenness in the world. God is just as, if not more, angry about it. You see, miracles are not the suspension of the natural order. They are actually a return to the natural order. Jesus' healings are the only natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. So don't you see, part of our mission as the church does deal with physical and temporal suffering of this world. And the reason that we should care about the physical and temporal sufferings of this world is because Jesus did. And he cared about them so much that he gave his life to ultimately fix all of them. The only way suffering and pain and all the corrupt, broken things in this world could be fixed was by Jesus taking the curse and the corruption upon himself, taking it to the grave and leaving it there. Peter and John see this crippled man. And the crippled man's asking for money because the crippled man thinks that money is the only thing that he can really get that's going to help him. And notice, they don't stop and say, hey man, forget about your legs. What you really need is Jesus. Don't be worried about your legs. Don't be worried about being able to walk. Man, that's worldly. They don't say that. They say, no, what you really, they don't say, no, what you really need is just Jesus in your heart. It's not what they do. They say, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we give you, and it's better than money. Get up and walk. You and I may never supernaturally heal someone, but we can care for and serve and help fix people's suffering and pain. We can help to heal injustices. We can partner with Jesus and bring healing to this world now. So when we serve and we help fix people's physical and temporal needs, we are showing them and telling them of a day that is coming when all those needs will be finally and fully met in full. That a day is coming when there will be no more hunger, that there is, that because everyone will feast at the Lord's table. That there is a day coming when there will be no more homelessness because Jesus has gone to prepare a place for them. That a day is coming when there will no longer be poor because they have an inheritance coming from a father who owns everything. That they will no longer limp or hurt or ache. That they will no longer be carted around in wheelchairs or crutches. That they will no longer, will no longer need hearing aids, no longer suffer disease. Because when we are resurrected from the dead, we will be raised in glory and in perfection. And all our ailments and all of the corruption, all the brokenness and all the injustice will be gone forever. And the Garden of Eden will turn into a city where we will live forever with our King. Understand, church, that our mission is not merely spiritual. It is most certainly physical. It is the reason Jesus was raised from the dead, because his body mattered. This story causes us to look up to God's affirmation of Jesus. It causes us to look forward to the future restoration when all things will be made new. And third, it causes us to look inward. You see, some people are physically blind. But the Bible tells us that we are all born spiritually blind. Some people are born physically deaf, but the Bible tells us that we are all born spiritually deaf. You see, the physical sickness of our bodies is but a reminder that our souls and our hearts are sick. 
And I am not saying that if you are physically sick in some way, it's because you're soul sick. I am saying that all of us are born with our hearts and our souls sick and broken. The Bible goes as far as to say that they're dead. This story reminds us to look inward and see where our true brokenness is. And now while I think it's important to note the physical restoration that this lame man receives, and while it is the mission of the church, a mission of God to bring restoration to the whole world physically, that won't happen in this future kingdom for you unless first your heart and soul have been healed. As bad as being crippled is, there is something worse, being crippled by our own sin. And as amazing as physical healing is, there is something better, the healing of our hearts and souls. If Peter would have said, I don't have any money, I don't have the power to heal you, but I can tell you about a Jesus who will forgive you of your sin and who will one day make this world right and will make you walk again. You might think that'd be a less spectacular or moving story, but it's not. Because full restoration is coming. This world lasts but a blink of an eye. And seeing this man come to Christ and be born again and be made new is the most important thing. Better to live as a cripple, to find resurrection and strong legs in the kingdom of Christ than to be healed now and run headfirst into hell. Peter believes this too. It's why he preaches this sermon. Listen to a sermon. Think about this. If a, if a crowd of people got together and you had one shot, you had healed a man and you knew that you had one shot to convince people to follow Jesus because you had this crowd and they were going to listen to you, what would you do? What would you say? Maybe you would line everyone up and say, okay, guys, I'll heal everybody. Come on. I don't know. They do that on, on some churches. They slap people and they get healed. Maybe they do that. Maybe you would talk about the love of God and his kindness and compassion and try to win them over. Maybe you would talk about the great gift of salvation and how we get to be brought into the family of God. But that's not what Peter does. Peter's got this one shot. He's got this audience. They've all gathered around. And he knows that if they're ever going to have their hearts and souls healed, if their true sickness is going to be set right, that they've got to understand where their true ailments lie. And that the guy he's just healed's biggest issue wasn't his legs, it was his heart. And so what does Peter do? He points them all to the corruption and the sin in their own hearts. I'm going to read a couple of these verses to you. He says, listen to how he calls them out. He says, but you denied the holy and righteous one, talking about Jesus, and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. Remember when the crowd said, we'd rather have Barabbas than Jesus, kill Jesus, let the murderer go? And he says, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Repent, therefore, and turn back to God that your sins may be blotted out. Peter does not put on his kid gloves and say, it's okay, guys. Jesus loves you. Come on in. He doesn't do that. He knows he has one shot with them. And he says, it was you who chanted, crucify him, crucify him, about our Messiah. It was you who let the murderer go free so that you could kill the innocent one from heaven. It was you who killed God. And this just shows the corruption and sin in your own heart. And so if you want a shot, you must repent. 
He doesn't pull punches. He, he does this because the, their greatest ailment is their sickness in their own heart. And that they ultimately need a healing that only faith in Christ can provide. They need new hearts that come through faith. See, humanity's greatest need right now is spiritual renewal that only comes through faith in Christ and repentance from sin. Joni Erickson grew up in a Christian family, and uh, around 15 years old, she came to know Christ. And she was living throughout high school, and, uh, and, and you know, she, she talks about how she, she followed Jesus, but she knew she wasn't really following him the way she knew she was supposed to. And so after she graduated high school, she, she prayed, and, and she asked God to shake up her life, to do something in her life, to shake her up, so that she would follow him the way she knew she was supposed to. A few weeks later, her sister had invited her to go swimming with her uh, at, the, at the Chesapeake Bay, the, uh, the ocean in Virginia, and uh, to go swim with her. She was 17 years old, and, and uh, she was an athletic girl, played a lot of sports, and so she swam out uh, in kind of in the middle of the water. There was a raft out there, kind of tied to a post, and they went out and swam out to it and, and climbed up on the raft and were playing around, and uh, at one point that she decided she wanted to dive off of the raft, and so she jumped and she dove off not realizing that the water was actually incredibly shallow. And she hit her head on the bottom of the, the sand and it immediately snapped her neck and severed her spinal cord. Her sister has turned around the other direction, didn't see any of it happen. And so jo Jody was laying face down in the water, unable to move. Her sister got bit by a crab in that exact moment on her foot and she turned around to tell her sister, watch out for crabs, when she saw the blonde hair floating up in the water. And she rushed over to grab her sister and save her life. She got to the hospital and there was nothing they could do. Her, her spinal cord was severed. And from that moment on, she has lived her life as a quadriplegic, unable to move her hands, her arms, her legs, and she's paralyzed from the neck down. After that, Jody, Jody sank into this deep depression. 17-year-old. All the hopes and future uh, of her future down the drain as she lay in a hospital bed unable to move. She sinks into this deep depression, unsure how she's going to continue living like that. Her friends from school came and uh, to encourage her to be with her, and, and they would come and they would bring scriptures. And one of the scriptures they brought to her was Jeremiah 29, 11. They brought to this paraplegic girl in, in the hospital. And you know the verse that says, For you know the plans you have for me, says the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm me, plans for a hope and a future. And as her friend shared that with her, she says, What in the world are you talking about, God? This is what you call not harming me? This is what you call a hope for a future? To prosper me? She sank deeper into depression. At one point, she learned about, more about this verse because it really made her mad, and she looked into it, and she realized that it came from a time when God's people were being carted off into exile and thrown into slavery, that their people had just been slaughtered, and now they were being, their temple destroyed, and they're going to a foreign land to be slaves. And God reminded them in the midst of that pain and that hurt and that loss that he still had a future for them despite what they were going through. And that though they may come to some physical harm, that God's purpose for them wasn't harm, but prosperity. And so Joni goes on to say that God's plan for me was not healing the use of my arms or legs again, 
But God's plan for me was a deeper healing. It was to draw me so close to Jesus that I wouldn't trade walking again for the joy of knowing him as deep as I do now. Every morning, she says, she wakes up saying, Jesus, I need you because I cannot do it without you. And she says that she experiences the sweetest, deepest union with Jesus. She said, finding Jesus in the midst of going through your worst hell is ecstasy beyond compare, and I wouldn't trade Jesus for all the walking in the world. God has used her mightily now as she travels the country speaking and sharing about her walk with Jesus despite her suffering. My favorite quote from her is this. At the great marriage supper of the Lamb, the first thing I think I'll do on resurrected legs is fall to my knees and praise the God of resurrection healing, and then I'll stand and dance before him with all my might. Healing is great. Healing that can happen now If we're able, it's great. But ultimate healing will only come for those who know that deep down in their hearts there is something more broken than our bodies ever could be. Something so broken that it took the blood of God poured out on a cross to heal. We look forward, we look up, we look forward, we look inward, and finally we look down. After the miracle, Peter preaches this sermon. There is no interview on CNN that night. There is no praise for the great work that they did healing this broken man. There is no party in their honor. There is no glory. There is jail time. As in the next chapter, Peter and John are thrown into a jail cell and are immediately interrogated for the horrible, horrible crime of healing someone in Jesus' name. It is a reminder that in order to relieve suffering, always comes at a cost. It cost them some time in prison. When Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead, you'll remember in John chapter 11, the text says that after that, the Pharisees determined to kill him. You see, in order to take Lazarus out of the grave, Jesus had to put himself in it. Jesus had to die in order to make us whole. You see, healing, fixing, always takes sacrifice. It always causes us to go down. It may cost you time. It may cost you money. It may cost you effort. It might cost you friendships. It might cost you a promotion at work. It might even cost you your job. But advancing the kingdom of Christ, caring for other people, working to make them whole, will cost you something. And it's a reminder that the kingdom of God does not call us to go up, as the prosperity gospel preachers would have us think. It does not call us to greater blessing and greater wealth and greater riches and greater influence. The call of the gospel, the call of the kingdom of Christ is a call to death. It is a call to go down. That if you want to find life, you must die. If you want to go up, you must go down. To sacrifice, to give, to work, to pour ourselves out for the sake of others. The world will care for other people. We see that. People who do not follow Jesus will care for other people as long as they get something out of it. A return on the investment. Maybe it's a good feeling. Maybe it's good uh, marks for college uh, admissions. But we... 
We give of ourselves, not because we get anything in return. We give of ourselves to others. We sacrifice to serve and care for others because the richest, most powerful man in the world gave up everything, sacrificed his life, his glory, everything, so that we might be made whole, both spiritually and one day physically so that you and I could know God deeply, intimately as his children, so that we could be set free from the corruption and brokenness of sin and its ailments in this world. I love when Peter says, this man wasn't healed because we're so powerful or because of our piety. Like Peter's owning it. He's saying, guys, this didn't happen because I'm good. Because I know I'm not good. I'm not pious. I'm not holy. I'm not good. I'm not special. He is. And that is what our lives are meant to be about. Owning our brokenness and pointing to the one who has healed us and can heal the world. We go down so that others can go free. We go down so others can go free. Church, our mission is to advance the kingdom of of God. That has physical and temporal elements and spiritual elements. Right now, people need new hearts. New hearts that can only come through faith in Christ. So that one day they can experience the full restoration of all things, as Peter says so that they can enjoy and thrive in a new creation without the corruption of sin. But it is also important for us to do work that cares for and serves the physical needs of people. Because when we do that, it affirms for them that God cares about those things that they are suffering through, and that God is going to fix those things. That in his kingdom there are no wheelchairs, there is no injustice, and there are no unforeseen diagnoses. So church, fellowship, let us be a church that doesn't get typecasted into being one or the other. Let us not be the church who only serves the community and only does social justice ministry. But but let us also not be the church that says your physical ailments and the injustice in our community doesn't matter. You just need Jesus. Let's be the church that serves meals to the hungry. When their belly is full, then we share with them the hope of the gospel. Let's be a church that shows the world what the kingdom of God is like by fighting to heal the broken world. But let's do that while also preaching about a crucified and risen Christ who has come to heal our hearts and make the world new. Let's not be a church who goes and digs wells in Africa alone. But let us be a church who goes and digs wells in Africa, and when the people have drunk freely, tell them about the water that can only quench their deeper thirst and and that their thirst will never, the well will never run dry. Let us not be like the actor who is a one-trick pony, always doing the same role. Let's be like the actor that can do it all. Let's be the church that can do all of what God has called us to do. Because if we get this right, fellowship, if we get it right, Our homes, our communities, and the world can begin to see and imagine what a world without the corruption of sin could actually look like. They might get a vision of paradise. And if they can see the world King Jesus is making, 
then they just might make Jesus the king of their world. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as a church whom you've given a mission to. And it is easy for us sometimes to get sidetracked with that mission. It's easy for churches to to go all in in one direction or the other. Father, would you help us to be a church that has one goal, and that is to advance the kingdom of Christ, which means we will be a people who ferociously share the gospel, a people who ferociously go after people who have broken hearts to see them healed, but it also means, God, that we will be a people who ferociously go after healing the brokenness and the corruption of sin in this world. Let us be a people who care when people are hurting, when people are sick, when people have been wronged. And let us be a people who know that there is a deeper corruption, a deeper hurt, a deeper wrong in their hearts. Let us be a people fueled by the gospel that helps us and pushes us to care for their spiritual condition and their physical condition. Let us be a church who will not relent until everyone within our reach has made Jesus essential in their life. Let us not relent until there are no more needs among us. God, make us a church that is effective, a change in the world, a proclaiming a kingdom that is coming where all things will be made new. If you're here this morning and you live in this broken world and you cannot imagine what this kingdom could be like, a world without corruption and sin, a world without the brokenness we experience every day, would you come up this morning as we sing and let me tell you about it? And let me tell you about the king who rules over it and who gave his life to create it. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, but want to learn more, come, let me tell you about him. If you're here this morning and you are suffering, if you are in pain, if you are hurting, I would love to pray over you that God might heal you, that God might use medicine or the doctors or that he might just right now heal you. We have some men on the side, and I'll be up here. If you are in pain, if you want to know Jesus, come, be made new. From the inside out. We pray these things in Christ's name. All those people said. Stand and sing, church.